0: Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Lucky number 13. Hi everyone and welcome back to another eerie entry. Now, I've a spectacular episode laid out for you this evening. And for anyone that might be tuning in for the first time, what you're about to hear are recordings made on my hotline from normal people just like you. People that have experienced something they just can't explain. Then afterwards, we will discuss logical explanations, alternative theories, and explore any tie-ins with existing paranormal lore. But at the end of the day, you must decide which you think is true. So to kick off our evening, we venture to the state of Utah, where Alexander has a hair-raising entry just for us. Hey Derek,
1: my name is Alexander. I'm calling from Utah. So this story took place about 10 years ago. Um, I was 16, 17, somewhere in that range. And I was at the time in the Boy Scouts, I was pretty involved in Boy Scouts. And for one of our camping trips, we went down to kind of Southern Utah, down to the Arches National Park, a very famous National Park in Utah. And while I was there, this a little bit south of the park, if I remember right. While I was there, I saw a coyote, which is not exactly uncommon down in that area, right? But the weird thing about this one was that, like, I was watching it. It was kind of far away, and it got up onto its hind legs and just started walking away. I kind of watched it for a little bit, and it walked away till I couldn't see it anymore. I never saw it get back down on all fours, just walking on its hind feet. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that's a common thing that coyotes do, but figured I'd uh, just pass this short little story along. Thanks. Mm, bye.
0: Thank you, sir. Well, here we go. This is my type of call. You know, something tangible that we can really sink our teeth into, so to speak. Well, let's begin with the obvious coyotes are abundant across the continent. So, seeing one, as Alexander mentioned, is not all that rare. But to see one get around on only its hind legs, well, for good reason, is jarring and almost impossible to fathom. But, believe it or not, we've covered abnormal bipedal animals before. Do you guys remember Petals the Bear?
2: Finally, tonight, Walking Tall The Mystery of the Black Bear Walking on Two Legs that had much of the country watching videos of him it would appear, is back tonight. And so is Ron Claymore. People in Oak Ridge, New Jersey, say there's no doubt about it. That's the same bear, all right. The same one they first spotted nearly two years ago. A black bear walking on its hind legs with the agility and ease of any human. I don't see it. Now nicknamed Petals, he was first seen and captured on video back in August 2014. There it is. There it is. Does she know that's a bear? You know that's a bear, right? I know!
0: more than likely it was a car accident bears can walk on their hind legs very well and it's just they don't choose to do so that clip is courtesy of abc world news tonight and sadly some mouth breather shot and killed petals after luring him in with an apple during the 2016 new jersey black bear archery season well i have no doubt that that guy is awfully proud of himself after all he managed to take down a mighty three-legged bear I mean, that guy's a regular Davy Crockett. Anyway, for a short few years, Petals was the talk of the town, proving that nature always finds a way. But I hear you guys. Bears are already bipedal at times. The fellow in the news clip even said so. Well, I suppose an example from the canine family would be more convincing.
2: This is how Dexter walks, well, runs, everywhere.
3: It's a lot of running, and I have to slow him down.
2: Kenty and Dexter do have to slow down to answer the obvious question.
3: Why does that dog walk like a human? Because he only has uh, two legs that really work well. Why? Because he was in an accident.
2: Back in 2016, about a year into his little life, Dexter was hit by a truck.
3: We didn't think he'd make it. His front legs got caught underneath the wheel.
2: Kenty and her family had already put down two dogs in two years.
3: I couldn't put another dog down without giving him a chance.
2: After surgeries and a whole lot of rehab, Dexter started to adapt. I know humans can do it, but
1: to see an animal adapt to, you know, obstacles and things that, you know, they weren't born that way.
0: And for those of you in the back that couldn't see, Dexter appears to be a cocker spaniel mix of some sort, but he's missing a front limb and the other is hanging limp, suggesting he has limited mobility. But that does not seem to stop him from trucking right along on his back legs. And that clip, by the way, comes to us from KUSA NBC News 9 out of Denver. Denver. Okay, so I think we've proved that it's at least possible that this was an injured animal that simply learned to adapt. But another thing I'd like to do while researching these entries is to compare experiences with others that may be even slightly similar. In doing so, one can often pull details that otherwise would have gone unnoticed, if it weren't for comparing the additional sample. So I did just that, and the following pulled from a Paranormal Junkie YouTube post opens her eyes to all sorts of possibilities. Another very similar encounter happened when a woman in New Mexico saw a very odd looking creature outside her house one night. At first she thought that it was a man, but this thing, whatever it was, had very odd posture and it was standing perfectly still. So this woman was wondering if her eyes were playing tricks on her as it was nighttime. But once she got closer, she realized that this thing had the head and body of a wolf but it was standing on its hind legs and it was rather muscular. Then this woman screamed her head off and this creature took off at very fast speeds on his
2: back legs back into the darkness. And at this time, this woman was convinced that she had just seen a werewolf. But her grandmother, who was Navajo, told her that this was not a
0: werewolf. This was a skinwalker. There it is, the creature we were all suspecting, but none of us dared utter the words, skinwalker. The Skinwalker legend is quite controversial. And from what I understand, the Navajo people, whom are custodians of this legend, are not keen on discussing it. And from what I gather, they prefer the rest of us drop it as well. But surely, someone in the Navajo Nation is willing to share this story with the world. Especially if there's something dangerous lurking among us. But until I receive that message... This is what the folks at the History Channel and the Skinwalker Ranch have to say about the legend. The Skinwalker curse has its roots in a feud between
2: the Ute tribe and the Navajo tribe. At a time when the Utes were really aligned with the United States government and had sold many of their peers into slavery. So the Navajo cursed this property. A Skinwalker is essentially a witch that has chosen to put on the skin essentially or the form of what can only be described as a giant wolf a skinwalker is something that exhibits superhuman agility and strength placing the skinwalker curse on this property made it a very real place to
0: avoid of course that clip comes to us from the history channel series the secrets of skinwalker ranch So there you go, Alexander. Maybe an injured coyote, maybe a Native American witch. But either way, we truly appreciate the entry. Now perhaps you're a member of the Navajo Nation willing to educate us. Or perhaps just someone with a wild story. Well, either way, do the right thing and call the hotline at one 888 608 That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com for more submission options. Okay, so this next entry comes to us from Josh from the state of Nevada.
4: Hello, my name's Josh from Las Vegas. I had a weird occurrence happen to me when I was like 12 years old, so maybe 2005-ish, I'm from Las Vegas, like I said, and this happened in Las Vegas, like right on the corner of two very main cross streets. The way it's set up is if you want to cross the street using the walk signal, you have to like walk out to a small median and then cross the street the rest of the way. You usually wait right there on the median. And I had been walking through that area like every day for a couple years, you know, just lived in that area for quite some time and just always walked through that same way and uh, always stood on the median and waited for the walk sign on this particular day I went out with a close friend of mine and we went to the store to get my mother some soda on the way back we pushed the walk sign and then went to go walk out onto the median and it was like a voice inside my head just screamed at me not to go out to the median that day So I asked my friend, I told him, hey man, come stand on the regular sidewalk with me and uh, let's just be safe today and just, come on, come stand on the regular sidewalk. My close friend, he told me that I was just acting scared and there was just, you know, he was just making fun of me and calling me names and all that stuff that, you know, young guys do to each other when one guy seems to be acting scared. So I refused, refused, refused. And eventually he convinced me to start walking out towards that median again. I don't know what it was again, but really loud, like super crazy loud, something screamed inside my head. Do not go out there. It was loud enough that it like hurt my head and almost gave me a headache. So once again, I did not head out there and I was literally begging my friend come on, man, come, please, come on, please come stand on the sidewalk with me. And he was making fun of me a little more, a little more, and finally I told him, I said, I'm serious, man, I'm serious. Come stand over here, please. And uh, finally he listened to me, and he comes and stands on the regular sidewalk with me. Well, we start hearing, like, police sirens and ambulance sirens. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's crazy, you know, not really paying too much attention to it. And then all of a sudden... A car just smashes over that median doing like maybe 80 miles per hour. It was going fast enough that it blew out all four tires on the car and blew out every window. There was glass all over the road and pieces of the car all over the road. The police finally came and subdued the subject that was inside the vehicle and uh, the light turned green for us to walk. So we walked and I really never thought about it again. Until I heard a story on this podcast. I've submitted a couple stories already, and I have a couple more. And uh, I really love your podcast. I joined the Facebook group. So I'm really excited to, to share a couple more stories and to hear a lot more stories. Thank you guys very much. Like I said, love your podcast. You guys have a great day.
0: Thanks, Josh. Could you imagine being the friend at that moment? I bet he went from ridicule to thankful. In a split second. And you know, after hearing this story, I now wonder if this doesn't occur more often. It's only that the majority of these people did not heed the warning, and thus cannot be interviewed. But there is a bit of good news here. At some point in each of our lives, every single one of us will have the opportunity to find out. So thanks again, Josh, and we're extremely happy that you decided to take the mysterious warning seriously. Now, before we progress further, a quick reminder that the Monsters Among Us merch shop is fully stocked with a wide array of t-shirt designs, patches, brand new pins, bags, hats, and so much more. But this stuff is moving quite quickly, so please don't hesitate. Visit MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com to pick up your gear. And don't forget about that brand new Patreon-exclusive glow-in-the-dark t-shirt featuring my face on the back. To pick that up, just simply visit patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. Now, I think it's time we tell our first ghost story of the evening. So, here to deliver the goods is Kelly from the state of South Carolina.
5: Hello, Derek. My name is Kelly, and I live in a rural area in South Carolina that's part of Aiken County. I've lived in this area my entire life. I'm calling in to tell an experience that may involve Civil War spirits on our property. I come from a farming family. We have a lot of land that's been passed down for at least four generations. When my husband and I decided to marry, we cleared some wooded area on my family's property for our home. To give some context for our location, we're surrounded by hay fields and forests. It's more than a quarter mile to our nearest neighbor and at least a 15 minute drive to the nearest store. Since we've been in our home, we've experienced a few unexplained events. The most significant um, happening about five years ago, so starting about in 2015. For a period of several months, I would be startled awake several times a week by a loud bang on our bedroom window, which was right next to the bed. It would always occur between five and six o'clock in the morning. When the banging woke me up, I would get up to look out the window, then go back to the back door and check the backyard, but there was never anything there. I'm a bit of a light sleeper, so it always woke me up. My husband, on the other hand, sleeps very deeply, so he never heard it. So I thought it might be my imagination or part of a recurring dream. However, I've never had a recurring dream before, and the fact that it happened at the same time each morning seemed strange. After a couple of months, the banging on the window just stopped. Several months after that, I came home from work, and I went into our bedroom to change out of my work clothes. I was alone in the house, but I knew it was getting close to time for my husband to arrive home from work. While I was in the bedroom, I distinctly heard someone open the door on the side of the house, and then footsteps walking through our dining area and into the kitchen. This would be the way that my husband would come in after work, so I naturally assumed it was him. As I heard the footsteps reach the kitchen, I received a text message from my husband that said he was on his way home from work. I was very alarmed to know that it wasn't him I heard in the house, so I went to see who was in my kitchen. As I walked into that part of the house, no one was there. I have many family members who live near me and often stop by and walk in the house without knocking, so I checked the yard and the road in front of the house but there was no one around. It would have also been very unusual for a family member to come in and not announce themselves or call out in some way. A while after this incident, my husband was walking our dog in the hayfield next to our house. At the back of the field, he saw a round metal object sticking up out of the ground. He dug it up and brought it back to the house. The place where he found this item is only about 300 yards from our home. When he showed it to me, he said he thought it was a Civil War cannonball. I was skeptical. There has been a lot of farm equipment on that part of the property for many years, and I thought it was probably just a piece of something that fell off of a tractor or other type of farm equipment, but he said he didn't know of any part of a tractor or farm equipment that would look like what he found. We looked up an image of Civil War cannonballs, and the item he found seemed to be a match. Just to be sure, I asked him to show the item to my dad. My dad is 73 years old and has farmed his whole life. He has operated and maintained all sorts of farm equipment. I felt confident he would know if this item was a piece of machinery. When he showed the item to my dad, my dad said it wasn't any piece of farm equipment that he knew of and he confirmed that it looked to him to be a cannonball. We kept the cannonball and put it on our mantle with some other antique items we have collected over the years. About a week after bringing the cannonball into our home, I got up early one morning to walk our dog. My husband was getting ready for work. When I came back from walking the dog, my husband looked at me strangely and seemed to be confused. I asked him what was going on. He asked me if I had returned to the house shortly after I first left to walk the dog. I told him that I hadn't. He said while I was gone, he was in the kitchen fixing his breakfast when he heard three loud knocks on our side door. The door was still locked from the night, so he assumed I forgot something and had come back early from walking the dog. However, when he opened the door, no one was there. He checked the yard, and no one was in the yard either. It was about ten minutes later when I returned with the dog. My husband was pretty freaked out. This was the first time he had experienced anything unexplained in the house. I would also like to say that although I enjoy paranormal stories, I'm a skeptic at heart. I always look for a logical explanation first, and I don't make a big deal out of things I can't readily explain. I'm a teacher, and my husband's a police officer. We're both very grounded and logical thinkers, but we were unable to explain the events I've described. I also want to include that we have several pieces of furniture and other items in our home that belong to grandparents and great-grandparents that have passed away. So I'm not sure if these events could be a family member passing through or something connected to the land. Since most of the events seem to originate outside of the home with the banging on the outside of the window and the banging on the outside of our side door, I'm more inclined to think it's coming from the land, especially after my husband's cannonball find, I continue to occasionally hear footsteps in the house when no one is there. And sometimes I hear movement in empty rooms but nothing that we have experienced has felt scary or threatening so when these events occur we kind of shrug our shoulders and go on with life i enjoy listening to your podcast it's very interesting to hear the experiences of others i hope that you'll be able to use my story i also plan to email a picture of the cannonball my husband found thank you
0: thanks kelly now true to her word Kelly did forward a photo that you can now see over at the show notes. And I can confirm, this is a cannonball. My experience with cannonballs, specifically from the Civil War, came about because my uncle was a relic hunter in the 1970s. Now He searched many privately owned battle sites throughout the South, and among his many finds were a few cannonballs. Now, we lived with my grandparents at the time, and as little kids, we spent a lot of time there. So naturally, while he was at work, we would roll the cannonballs back and forth down the hallway to one another, on my grandparents' neon blue shag carpeting. It's weird, though. Some memories are simply burned into your head. Now, out of curiosity, I called my dad, who had gone along on some of these relic hunts in the past and he said many of the cannonballs found in one piece were dropped and left, not fired. He also mentioned that they could still be full of gunpowder, and if exposed to extreme heat, they could ignite. He even told me of an old treasure hunter he knew in the 1970s that died trying to drill into a cannonball that he had found. Apparently he thought it was already detonated. Dad said the explosion killed him instantly but I think you're fine, Kelly. Just don't drill into it or burn it or roll them into each other on shag carpeting and you should be fine. And thanks again for the entry. Tonight's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals. I know firsthand that not prioritizing your mental health can have a negative effect on your life. Now, BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely online. They will assess your needs and match you with a licensed therapist who is right for you. You can send confidential messages to your counselor anytime. And also, have the option to schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Now, BetterHelp counselors specialize in depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid, of course, is available. Now, BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. so no need to limit yourself to counselors strictly in your area. And as a Monsters Among Us listener, you'll get 10% off of your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. So join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health by visiting BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, .com/monsters among us. That's better help B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash among us. Now as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show, so thank you for listening. and back to the spooky stuff. Now from time to time, I receive a call about a sighting that's currently ongoing. In other words, we're on the phone with the experiencer as they are looking at the anomaly. And this entry from Ari in California is just such a call.
6: Hi, Derek. My name is Ari calling from Southern California in Riverside County to be specific. It's October 3rd, and it is 9.42 at night. And my family and I are actually right now looking at the moon. And it's so crazy because we see this this floating light above it and it looks like a star and we can't quite make out what it is. My brother brought the telescope out and it just looks like this kind of ray of I want to say like a rainbow fire I don't know how to describe it but I don't see a cloud in the sky I can see a few other stars but this one is directly above the moon just floating there and there's nothing that I know it to be not even a satellite I don't know I have no idea I'm hoping that When you hear this, you can maybe look into it and tell us what we're looking at, but we're totally baffled right now. We're definitely thinking aliens, for sure. I love your podcast. I hope to hear, to tell us what the heck is going on right now, because we're looking at it right now, and it's been like that for a a while. Well, talk to you later.
0: Bye. Thanks, Ari. Unlike most of these calls, I may have been able to solve your mystery. After some digging, I learned that the night of October 2nd, and by default, and to a certain extent, October 1st and 3rd, the latter being the night of Ari's sighting, well, I learned that the planet Mars on those particular dates paralleled the moon in the early hours of the evening. Now, the following blurb from spacetourismguide.com states it more eloquently. Mars has been being shy in the past few months, but has slowly been rising earlier in the night and increasing in viewing prospects. On the night of October 2nd, you should be able to easily spot Mars as it makes a close approach with the Moon, from our earthly perspective. The Moon and Mars will pass within 39 minutes of one another, and the Moon will be bright at 98% illuminated. Now this will impact viewing prospects, especially if you're using a pair of binoculars but you should still be able to spot the pair easily with the unaided eye. So, logic would suggest that Ari simply saw Mars that evening. But, before we jump to that conclusion, I also searched a trusty source for local UFO sightings, separated into individual dates. Now, this source is the National UFO Reporting Center. And, well, wouldn't you know it, of the hundreds of submissions for the Golden State there's not one single entry for the month of october 2020 despite the fact that there are dozens of entries for each of the other months that year so take all that for what it's worth and thanks again ari for sharing your entry now up next we make our way to washington state rihanna take it away
3: hi this is rihanna i'm from washington state my story happens in The early 2000s, when I was in 6th grade, I was at my sister's soccer game. I had to pee, and it was a voting weekend, so my mom said I should try the gym. The game was at my old elementary school that I'd gone to from kindergarten up to 5th grade, so just the year before. I went to the gym, but it was dark and empty. The door, however, was propped open about an inch from a permanent piece of concrete on the ground. So it was like part of the cement ground. It wasn't just a little rock. I really had to go, so I thought it was lucky. (laughs) The only light on in the building, out of the gym, in the cafeteria, and the bathrooms, and some storage room was the girls' bathroom light. (laughs) Again, I thought that was lucky. I go in as I'm doing my business. I realize how strange this all was, and I start to get a feeling that I'm not alone. So I bend down to check if there's any other feet in the stalls. It's a really small bathroom, two stalls, and there's no other feet. And so I hurry, but for some reason, I'm the kid and I think I need to wash my hands or it's a disaster. So as I'm washing my hands, I keep looking in the mirror, which faces those two stalls. And as I'm staring in the mirror, the stall door just slams shut behind me. And so I book it, <laughs> run out, and I never look back and I haven't been back since. But yeah, it's an older school. Of course, they tore it down in the 70s, but the schoolhouse has been there since the early 1900s, back into the 1800s. So. Who knows what could have been there, but it's the only paranormal experience I have. Anyways, love the podcast. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Rihanna. How lucky am I? Which is the final thought of every mouse upon discovering, quote-unquote, free cheese? It certainly is a spooky experience. Now, in regards to the location... I wonder if there are any other reports from that particular school, perhaps a legend or ghost story in place. But then again, as I think about it, it seems that many schools have these sorts of legends for one reason or another. So be careful in opening that can of worms. And thanks again, Rihanna, for sharing. Now, I think we have time for one more before we reach this week's finale. And this one comes to us from an anonymous caller.
7: All right, quick call about, I think you mentioned you were doing a special on Anza, California. Maybe it's already concluded, don't know. But you have this phone number. I was with someone in Anza many years ago. We're talking like 33 years ago. And we were staying at her boss's place up in the mountains. It was really great. But at night, she kind of had this vision. It was pretty intense. And she was looking out from the mountainside that we were on, looking west towards the town of Anza. And I think the reservation is to the west past that town for the Cahuilla Indians. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. I think it's C-U-H-U-I-L-L-A. And what she saw was pretty intense. It was like a dark line from south to north, an even line coming, proceeding towards us in the east, looking down in the valley. And it was just kind of overwhelming. And the place was very odd. It was beautiful. But we also noticed on the hillside that we were at, there were at least two, two if not three faces in stone pointing upward like looking upward at the sky kind of a Native American thing looking and with the eyebrows the noses the chin and they were huge boulders even wrote a poem about it it was so intense but anyway this was in the winter about 33 years ago in Anza and have never forgotten that place there's something about it that's kind of heavy not totally positive Maybe, but especially after driving a, one of the bikes, mountain bikes there, and we were I rode one into town, and I passed this guy who was on a motorcycle all dressed in black, and a black motorcycle, and I kind of chuckled because he had pulled over, and he was walking his motorcycle, and then mine died, like, within 10 seconds after that, and he passed me by, and it was just, the whole thing was weird, whatever. All right, thanks for listening.
0: Oh, I hear you. There's just something about that place. Thanks, scholar, for sharing. Now, it's certainly interesting that you mentioned the boulders having faces. In our upcoming documentary, Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Brago Triangle, we've begun uncovering stories about some large creatures seemingly made of boulders, or something mimicking the natural stone of that area. Now, there's some pretty gnarly stories to come out of that place. And as I mentioned a few episodes back... I finally have some updates on our upcoming project. Now COVID restrictions have lifted to the point that we can finally begin shooting. Our first outing is scheduled for mid-June, and we have some amazing things in store. Now there's no release date yet, but I'd bet some money that you could see it around this time next year, or for those behind by Spring of 2022. Of course we will keep you updated as the project progresses. And thanks again, caller, for sharing. We just might be reaching out, and I might as well say to anyone else with experiences from the Inza Desert State Park area here in Southern California, we would love to hear from you as well. So shoot me an email or call the hotline at 1-888-6089. Now, as it turns out, we have enough time to sneak in one more before we feature our final story. Now, this one is a creepy little entry from David in the state of Georgia.
8: Hey, Derek, this is David from central Georgia calling again. Just want to give you a story that happened to me a couple of years ago on my way home from work. I had left work early. I usually get off at midnight, but I left work early going home. And the, uh, the time of day, it was just about dark enough to start needing headlights. And I was on an old country road, and I just topped a hill, and you've got to go down to the bottom of the hill, and as soon as you get to the bottom, you go up another hill. Well, at that bottom, is a crossroads. Well, when I'd gotten to the top of the hill, I'd noticed that there was the silhouette of a person on the left-hand side of the road, and I thought, well, that person's going to walk out in this road. I just felt it. I really did. The speed limit on those roads is 55. Well, I was in an old Dodge, and about the only time I reach 55 is when I'm going downhill. But since I had this feeling that this person would walk out in front of me, I slowed it down. And on the other hill coming the opposite direction, another car had topped it as well. And so we're both coming down to meet in the middle and this person that's on the side of the road, and like I said, it was dark enough almost to need headlights. Well, this person did start walking to the middle of the road. And so I slowed down more. I couldn't have been more than two, three car lengths from this person in the road, when the person just disappeared, just flat out disappeared. At no time were there any distinguishable features, it was just the silhouette of a person. And if I had to take a a guess at it, to me it looked like, you know, the static that you see on the TV, it it looked like that except for it was a much darker tint or tone. Uh, It wasn't as bright as, as the TV static, but there were never any discernible features whatsoever. Well, I continued slowing down because that's not right. And the other car passing me going slow as well, I looked over and it was a, a young high school age girl and she just looked terrified because she had seen it too. Well, I just continued going because there, there's a lot of tra- strange things that happen on that road anyway. And I'll probably call back later and uh, tell you some more of those stories. But at the bottom of those two hills where that crossroads is, I've got a friend that lives about a quarter mile down to the left, and a few days later, I had told her the story and she laughed it off. I don't know if she believes in the ghost or not. Well, I wanna say a month after that, we were at a party and she came up to me and she told me that she had told her neighbor about what I had said and her neighbor became extremely defensive and kind of ugly towards her about the whole thing and, and just stalked off, so. I'm assuming that the neighbor's seen something out there as well. But anyway, that's my story. I love the show. Love what you're doing. Keep it up, bud. Take care.
0: Thanks, David. No, I love stories like this. It's a great setting, a gripping sequence of events, and, of course, the payoff with the figure crossing the road. Now, I especially enjoy that the driver of the oncoming vehicle also seemed to spot the anomaly. I would really like to hear her perspective if she happens to be listening. No, that's great stuff, David. And there's certainly something to be said about the presence of Crossroads. There is a plethora of legends regarding the significance of those junction points. But we'll save that for another time. But thanks again, David, for sharing the entry. And now for that last entry on the evening... And to say this one is a mystery would be a vast understatement. Please join me in welcoming Mary to the program.
9: Hi, my name is Mary and I currently live in North Carolina, but my story takes place in Chicago, Illinois. Back in 2015, My story takes place in the early time of year in winter. So I was working at a coffee shop that my sister owned at the time, and I was closing the shop, so the time was about 8 p.m. But at the time, I lived about a block and a half away from the shop. Now, a really important detail to this story is that at the time I was closing, I was alone for like the last hour of my shift. So nobody else was in the shop with me. It was just me. So I closed up the shop and I walked home. It was about a two-minute walk. The last thing I remember from that night was walking home, getting to the front door of my apartment building, opening the door, walking in. That is the last thing that I remember. Next thing I know... I am shooting up out of my bed, taking a big gasp of air. And I look around and I'm in my bedroom. My bedroom window is wide open. Now mind you, it is winter in Chicago, so it's freezing outside. I live on the third floor of my apartment building. I am fully clothed. I have my coat on, my shoes on and still wearing my outfit from the night before. It's about six in the morning, the sun is starting to rise. My bedroom door is closed and um, my legs are like hanging off the side of my bed. I start to look around and I'm very confused on how I got here. Suddenly, I feel incredibly nauseous. I open my bedroom door, I can hear my roommate getting ready for work. I run to the bathroom and I become violently ill. I start vomiting, and I have no idea what's going on. I ask him, I say, you know, did you hear me come home last night? Like, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And he says, I I mean, I think I may have heard you come home, but, like, I just, I peeked out, and your bedroom door was closed. And so at that point, I go back to my bedroom. I close the door. I'm rubbing my head. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I close my bedroom window, and suddenly I have this, moment where everything comes back and hits me like a ton of bricks and I remember this very vivid dream and I at this point I'm not sure if it was a dream or if this is real but it all comes back and hits me like a ton of bricks so the last thing I remember is walking into my apartment building and also keep in mind the only people who lived in that building were my sister had a unit the second floor was vacant and my roommate and I had an apartment. So the last thing I remember is coming into the building and that's it. And then waking up at 6am. So there is almost 12 hours of lost time. So as I'm trying to remember what happened, suddenly this dream or whatever it was, comes back to me. And where it begins is I'm looking down, there's light surrounding me, and I'm being sucked up. Whether it's into the sky or somewhere, it's just I'm being sucked up. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in a chair, and I'm looking around me, and there's two men and two women, and I remember their faces vividly. I know what they're wearing. I know what they look like, and we're all kind of rubbing our heads, and we're confused on how we got there. We're confused on where we are, and we look around at each other, and we're saying, like, I'm sorry, who are you? And, I, you know, I, I, I'm looking and there's a, a woman with brown hair and she's in a sundress. She's a white woman and she's wearing brown flats. And I'm giving you these details to show you how vivid the dream was. There was a black man who had long dreads. He had a white T-shirt and blue denim jeans with black sneakers. There was a white male with blonde short hair. He had a black T-shirt on and black pants. Um, and then there was a, a another blonde woman there as well. So we're all looking around. It's hard to really describe where we were. Everything looked very artificial. And I couldn't really tell you if we were outdoors or we were indoors. But suddenly I looked and there was a big staircase leading to a glass building. So I stood up. And the strange thing about this is I felt very in my body. So as I'm remembering this dream, quote unquote, it doesn't feel like a dream. Even talking about it right now, it feels like a memory. So I tell everybody in this group that I'm I'm going to go check this out. I said, I'm going to go into the building. And they're <laughs> they all think I'm nuts. And I remember in that moment saying, oh my gosh, Mary, you are the idiot in the scary movie but I I walk up the steps and I enter the building and I remember seeing two figures that led to two different sides and I remember in my head thinking that it seemed gendered but I don't know why it just seemed that way so I went to the side that seemed to be female and as I'm walking up the second set of steps this creature I guess you could call her or it comes out, she was incredibly tall, like maybe seven feet or so, and she was very long. Everything about her was long. Her arms, her fingers, her neck, and she had like brown straight hair, human features, but everything was very far set apart. Eyes were very far, her nose, her lips, everything was very wide set. And she looked down at me and I looked up at her and she communicated with me in English and in a very fay voice I heard, Mary, hello, we've been waiting for you. And suddenly everything felt very familiar and I said, what is this place? I feel like I've been here before. And she replied to me almost laughing and said, of course you feel that way this is where it all begins and she said follow me so I follow her through this other set of doors and we go into a room that's filled with computers and on the screens of each computer I see earth and I'm not talking about like um, satellites or anything like that it's very zoomed in to different fields and different areas So I couldn't even tell you like if I I wouldn't be able to tell you what state it was. It was just very zoomed in. And I see people looking and I, I, I ask her, I say, what's going on? And she just simply says, creation, we're creating. And so we keep walking and she's showing me around. And suddenly we walk into another room and she turns. And mind you, what they're wearing is these long, flowy, gray, almost dress like tunics. And she turns around and she's holding a folded gray tunic in her hand. And she looks at me and she goes, now is your time to decide. And I'm so confused. And I said, decide what? And she says, if you'd like to stay or you'd like to return. And it was in that moment that I shoot up out of my bed and I'm back in my bedroom. And then I get violently ill and I start throwing up. So that is my story. I don't know if I had a seizure or if I was abducted, but my brother is a huge fan of the show. And as soon as we were discussing this story, again, this was back in 2015, he said, you have to call. These details are far too wonderful not to share. It would be a perfect story for the show. So hopefully uh, you can use it. And I'm still... To this day, six years later, not sure what happened to me that night, but um, we're big fans of the show, and thank you so much for listening, and um, have a great night.
0: Thank you, Mary, and a huge thanks to your brother for encouraging you to share. Now, real quick, before we dive in, I can't help but notice how quiet the old mirrored men have been over the past couple of years. And this chunk of missing time Mary experienced was a great reminder of their wicked ways. So if you're sitting on an experience with these odd fellows, let's hear them. I know there are plenty of eager ears out there foaming at the mouth for more details. Now, for Mary's experience. And just to be clear, I'm in no way suggesting that the mirrored men have anything to do with this particular experience. Instead, I can't help but parallel this story with so many other tales of alien abduction shared over the years. The missing time element, coupled with the details she later recalled, are enough to lead me toward the alien abduction phenomena. But I'll be the first to admit that this case is different from most in several different ways. For starters, Mary was presumably abducted off the street, something that her lapse in memory suggests. Now, this is a bit abnormal, because a vast majority of abduction cases begin with the abductee sleeping. And perhaps what's most jarring is that, unlike most other abductees, whom are seemingly returned to the very place of which they were taken, that doesn't seem to be the case with Mary, as she was seemingly plucked from the street and returned to her bedroom. Now, I'm sure other instances like this have occurred, but honestly, I cannot recall any. That is, except for one. Like
2: thing I've ever heard. You Travis know, Walton is an unassuming guy with a story that has captivated millions for decades an abduction by an alien craft. It's November 5th, 1975. Travis, along with his brother in law and co workers, are driving along and spot something in the woods.
4: This glow that, you know, lit up the surrounding foliage. It just made everything look kind of weird.
2: Travis and his buddies are heading down a remote road inside the forest when they see some kind of ominous light. A craft is hovering over the tree line. And that's when Travis's curiosity got the best of it.
4: The closer I got, looking up at it, I was just walking slower because my eyes were just riveted on this thing. and I'm. Just- he tried to run back to the truck. And they're yelling at me, get out of there. And I stood up, bam, yes. threw me back through the air. 20 feet and they took me for dead.
2: Walton claims he woke up inside of an alien craft, lying on a table surrounded by three aliens and other human looking figures.
4: I was looking into the face of this creature. I just freaked out. That
2: gave me a jolt of adrenaline that gave me the strength to get off the table. Walton says he tried escaping, blacks out, and wakes up on the side of the road in Heber and runs to the nearest phone.
4: Once I made that call, I collapsed. And I don't know how long it was. It seemed like almost
2: immediately my brother was lifting me up. Walton out of was bed. missing for five days, creating a media firestorm. Search parties comb the area. His buddies and brother-in-law tell the story of an alien abduction. Walton and the crews take lie detector tests and pass them. And ever since then, Walton has become one of the most well-known abductees in the U.S.
0: Now that clip, courtesy of KPHO, CBS News 5 out of Phoenix. And as amazing as the claims are, the details I want to focus on are that he was last seen off of Rim Road in the Apache-Sidgreaves National Forest, where he was blasted by a light emanating from a hovering craft above. Then he came to, five days later, near a bank of phone booths in the town of Heber, Arizona, by my estimates, a good three miles away over rough drain. Now perhaps I'm making connections where none exist, but I thought it odd that with exception of Mary and Walton's experiences, most return exactly to the location of the abduction. Now aside from further wild guesses and vague connections, I don't have much to offer here, except maybe to say that the entity Mary described speaking with, well her description loosely fits descriptions I've heard over the years of a race of aliens known as the Nordics or Palladians, named as such due to their resemblance to Nordic Scandinavians, and because they're rumored to be from the Palladius star cluster. They're described as being tall, pale, vibrant versions of a familiar shape. So aliens, hallucinations, perhaps something from outside the box, like extra-dimensional creatures or even time travelers. Whatever went down that evening, we're sorry that you had to endure it, Mary, we are so thankful for you sharing the story with us. And for your sake, I hope it was a one-time occurrence. But for our sake, if it wasn't, please keep us posted. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you like the show, you'll love our social media accounts. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, the terrifying score that you heard in this episode was provided by Co.AG Music and Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. Thank you for sticking around for this final entry. An entry from Samantha in Arizona.
10: Hi Derek. My name is Samantha Almeida and I'm calling from Tucson, Arizona. And my story happened when I was a little girl around 5 or 6 years old. So it, this was the early 90s, ninety-three, ninety-four. 94. And I was living in a pretty large house. It was a 4 bedroom house but it was on the south side of Tucson, so it wasn't anything that was beautiful or, or outstanding. It's just, you know, it's very roomy and spacey. I lived there with my Thea and my cousins and my mom. She was a single mom and my nana, so it was crowded. Uh, but on this particular day, my Thea and my cousins were in the process of moving out, so I was by myself. I was the only kid at home, and I was playing outside. And I just started hearing humming, like a like a child, like a little girl humming. And this was weird, particularly because my neighbors, they didn't have any kids. They were both old, retired couples, and uh, they just never had any kids around. And that was something that I noticed, because it was the 90s, and we used to ride our bikes all the time, you know, until the sun went down, and we knew all the kids in the neighborhood. So I just, I knew there were no kids that belonged at either of our neighbors' houses. and. So I was curious, and I followed the the humming, and it was a very large backyard. And in one part of the backyard, it it was like a a garage that was built. And in it it, it just was a mess, you know, old tools, spider webs. It just wasn't utilized by us. It was a bunch of women that lived in the house. You know, it was just junk. And uh, we played in there a lot. That's where I kind of heard the voice. So I started making my way, and as I got closer, I heard her say, hi do you want to play and I don't know It's I was filled my, my little six year old body was filled with dread and it didn't feel warm or inviting it felt insidious and it felt tricky and it felt just nasty you know and I got this dread that I, oh, I could get chills still thinking about that, that feeling and it gets me a little bit emotional because I just don't remember ever feeling that kind of fear before And I was so young, but I remember it. And I just screamed and I ran. And um, I told my mom and I I told my whole family about it. And they hushed me, you know, and they knew because they had had their own experiences. And I was a kid and a little bit of a Medici, so I would listen when they would be gossiping. And, you know, some of the things they talked about was that, you know, they would yell at me and my cousin before messing up the toys in the middle of the night but we had never gotten out of bed and how they knew that it was something else and something about a a cup that was in the middle of the kitchen table one time filled with water and when they turned around, the cup was cut in half and the water was spilling onto the floor. Just weird things like that. And I always thought they were just saying it to scare me, but after I experienced that, I realized that they knew exactly what I was talking about, but they didn't want to address it. Instead, my nana went to San Javier Mission, that's a church in in Tucson, and it was like 10 minutes from us, and she had her crucifixes blessed, put them all over the house, got some sage, holy water. Um, she even had some of her church friends come, and they're very Catholic, and they did a whole prayer. And I don't know. The activity never really stopped, but, but I was just kind of taught to, to suppress it. Um, there are some other stories. Maybe I'll, I'll call back sometime and, and give you them, but... I want to thank you for for putting on this show because for so many years I've suppressed this. And I've listened to your show for like two years, but I just recently became a patron because I've realized that it's actually opened me up and made me realize things about my past that I haven't thought of in a very long time. And I think it's shaped me and helped explain a little bit of who I am today. So thank you for giving us this outlet because it means a lot. And that was scary. And I do believe that if there has to be angels out there, there has to be some bad some bad stuff. And I think I ran into one when I was a little girl. Thank you. Have a good night.
0: Thank you, Samantha. Now, I certainly don't know much, but I do know that a ghostly little girl is one of the spookiest tropes out there. And finding one in a dilapidated garage, well, that's utterly nightmarish. So thank you for leaving us with a fright this evening. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night.